kind of how tonight's going to work. Um, we're going to start through the slides, and the first one is up there for you already. And um, I'm going to go through some slides real quickly for you, and then we're going to do a little open book test at the end, uh, just to see how much of it you're able to put together. Okay, and uh, you can use your notes. Okay. Uh, that you take all right no seriously um, we're going to just take our time tonight and what I want to do is is I go through this because I, and let me share my heart with you one of the things that I want to make sure uh, as we go through this is that that you're that you're you're connecting the dots okay because it's not it's worthless if I stand up here and just go through it all and you you you're just you're just not able to track with it okay and so I want to make sure that you're able to do so. And um, so we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to get started into it tonight. Hopefully you have your notes. How many of you do not have the notes from last Sunday night? From two weeks. Okay. I have plenty of them up here. If I can get uh, maybe Brother Charles or Brother Richard um, to help with these. It's two pages of the... Um, there are two pages of the type notes, and then there are seven pages of the slide notes, okay? So uh, just to make sure, so you should wind up with two pages. Some people have front and back on your printed notes, okay? These came out two separate pages, okay? Uh, and the other ones came out. So those of you who've got the old set of notes, don't worry about it, okay? Uh, you're good to go. You got, you've got everything. Theirs is just a little bit more spread out this time. All right. So, while they're handing those out, um, so we've got the hands up. Okay. While they're handing those out, you may want to go ahead and take your Bible and open them to the book of Nehemiah, because that's where we will be uh, tonight, it's the book of Nehemiah. All right. We will be in the book of Nehemiah. All right. That's where we will be. All of those who are joining us online as well, uh, one of the nice things that you will see tonight, all the notes are going to be on the screen, okay? Uh, even the typed notes. And uh, so you'll be able to see them on the screen, okay? So you should have, for those who are getting notes tonight, you should have two pages of the typed notes. Then there should be seven pages, I believe, of the slides okay all right two pages brother Danny back there at the back okay and he's bringing the rest of them by okay all right Let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get uh, we'll get started into it while they're getting these uh, while they're getting these handed out tonight. All right, uh, Father, we thank you for uh, this day, and we thank you for the time together tonight. And Father, as we study your word together, I pray that we would be able, Father, to glean from it the truths that you would have us to see. Father, not for just knowledge's sake, but Father, we understand and see what's taking place and happening around the world. Uh, Father, and as we watch your word unfold in front of us, 
I pray that the Holy Spirit tonight would teach us uh, the truths that uh, we need to see. And then, Father, to be able to just continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us, understanding that the task ahead of us is to redeem the time, uh, to make the most out of each minute of each day. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you would help us, be with us, bless our time together, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, they're coming with the rest of the slides. They'll be up here on the screen for you as well. If you go to the slides, this will be um, the slides that, uh, that you should see uh, tonight as you look at them. Um, and matter of fact, I'm just going to kind of start off right here with, uh, with this first one. Uh, hopefully you have a copy of this slide. Uh, in front of you, uh, you should have an A in the top in the top left-hand corner. You can see it up there. Anybody um, see that? Okay. All right. So as you as you see this slide, this is one we went over last. Um, we kind of went over last Sunday night. And I just want to kind of do a quick review for you. Okay. Um, one of the things that we're talking about is when you look at the last days and you look at um, all, of, all of the books of the Bible that deal with the last day specifically, and I'm talking about those, who, those books that contain very specific references to the last days, uh, such as the book of Daniel. Uh, one of the things you need to understand about the book of Daniel, if you want to understand Matthew chapter 24, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, then you need to understand Daniel chapter number 9, where the 70th week of Daniel is. The 70th week of Daniel, or the 70 weeks of Daniel, uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel, the entire period, is basically the, is, is, is the line, uh, it's the panoramic view of what is going to occur and what is going to happen. Uh, and it goes all the way back, and it starts back in the Old Testament, <clears throat> which is what we're going to take a look at tonight. Um, matter of fact, when you look at the prophetic timeline, uh, it comes out of the book of Daniel, uh, seven weeks or 49 years uh, out of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And keep in mind, the 70 weeks of Daniel is 77s. Uh, so when you multiply that out, it's 70 times 7 is 490 years total. 49 of those years, um, there was, of course, the decree to, uh, that was issued to restore and to rebuild uh, Jerusalem. Now, there are some who have a tendency to sometimes to get that confused. There were actually two rebuildings that went on. Uh, the first one was the temple itself. Uh, when Ezra and Zerubbabel and they led some of the exiles back and they rebuilt they begin to rebuild the temple itself first and then of course they understood and realized that they had the temple there but they also needed to make sure that there was the walls that were necessary to be rebuilt that would surround and help protect the temple and so on once it was rebuilt so you have Ezra and Zerubbabel back in the book of Ezra and uh, when you go back and you read that, that's when they went back and began to rebuild uh, the temple and began to restart some of the activity within the temple. 
This one here is specifically out of Daniel chapter number 9. This is what sets apart, this is what sets off the 70 weeks of Daniel. And uh, the first 49 years, which is the decree uh, that went out to rebuild and to restore uh, the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, The next portion, they actually continued with some of the modification of the temple that was there. And uh, leading up into, there's another whole 62-week period that began, or 434 years uh, from the time that uh, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, after that first 49 years, another period of time, 434 years, is going to take place where the temple rebuilding and the modification takes place by, goes all the way up to, of course, and including and goes through Herod. uh, Because when you consider the temple, Uh, and the rebuilding and the restructure of the temple if you understand the temple process and I think maybe I think there's a um, there's one that probably even shows that you may have a slide that looks like this that says the three returns from exile do you have one of these let me see I think it's I'm not sure if no okay all right it is not up there, but you should have it. It looks like this, okay? It's got two arrows, two big arrows on it, okay? Everybody see that? It's got two big arrows on it, okay? Does everybody have it? Okay. Basically, what that does is it takes you through the temple process, all right? So when you look at the temple process, and that's one of the things that you also need to make sure that you kind of have in your mind and you see uh, that first area there the temple is rebuilt under Zerubbabel Uh, here's two of the prophets that you find that recorded in is both Haggai as well as Zechariah then there's a gap of 57 years and uh, how many of y'all remember Esther in the scripture ever wonder where Esther kind of fits into all of this well this diagram will show you where Esther fits in the process okay Uh, when Esther came on the scene. Then the next box over, you see Ezra. Uh, The people are reformed. Ezra comes back. Uh, Remember Ezra, they also found a copy of the Word. They built a wooden pulpit, and he stood and read from the Word of God, and all of the people stood for hours as he read. Okay? So we have Ezra. And then as you move from there, you move into Nehemiah, and you see the rebuilding of the walls under Nehemiah okay but let me go back through real quickly the temples and the tabernacles begin like this you have the wilderness tabernacle where all of the directions and everything was given to Moses by God himself on Mount Sinai it was constructed exactly according to those details when you move from the wilderness tabernacle at the time of Eli the priest the temple or the tabernacle the wilderness tabernacle wound up in Shiloh and that's where it resided for a number of years after that. When David became king of Israel, David first took the throne in Hebron. And he ruled in Hebron for a period of time before eventually moving on to Jerusalem. Now, a lot of folks are under the misconception that they think that Jerusalem has belonged to Israel for all of the years that Israel's been around. I hate to tell you that, but that's not the case, Okay. When David became king over Israel, he ruled first in Hebron. 
And the reason that he ruled first in Hebron is because when God got ready for him to take the throne of Israel in Jerusalem, a battle had to take place where they had to defeat the Jebusites that held control of Jerusalem. And so once that was over, David then took the throne in Jerusalem. At the time that he took the throne in Jerusalem, that wilderness tabernacle that used to be in Shiloh. Matter of fact, the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. It was placed inside of a tent that was there. Eventually, the wilderness tabernacle would make its move into Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, if you remember the scripture, David, David had this great desire in his heart to build the temple for God. But of course, God told him that he couldn't. But he had the plans for it. And of course, Solomon built the temple. So you have the wilderness tabernacle. And some modification when it moved to Jerusalem. You have Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. That temple was actually destroyed. That temple was desecrated. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, when they went into captivity, they came in, desecrated it, took all of the vessels out of it, pretty much burned it and destroyed it along with the walls of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem. So when Ezra and Zerubbabel and Nehemiah came back to begin the rebuilding process, we quickly, uh, quickly make our way as we move into that time period of when uh, the Romans uh, eventually are going to take control and then Solomon's temple that had been rebuilt to some degree, Herod came in and, of course, modified portions of Solomon's temple, and it became known as Herod's temple. So you have the wilderness tabernacle, you have Solomon's temple, and you have Herod's temple. And, oh, by the way, Herod's temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. It was known as Herod's temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. So guess what we're waiting on today is the rebuilding of the temple. Okay? Is it going to take place? Uh, it is definitely going to take place. All right? So this is kind of where we're going to start tonight. And you should have this page right here. Uh, this is where the process will actually begin. If you have your typed notes, uh, we're actually going to be at note number nine. Okay? Uh, is where we're going to pick up tonight is note number nine. And we're going to be in Nehemiah. Um, and so I give you the references up here to try to tie the two of them together. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. And then Nehemiah chapter number 2. Uh, actually verses 1 through verse number 8. And it's interesting uh, because in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25 it talks about the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That's where we are. Okay? That's where we are. So where in Scripture did that start? Where in Scripture did that begin? So we can start to kind of put all of this together and start this timeline, understanding how all of this is put together. Have you ever wondered when reading through the Scripture where Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, some of those fit in the process, especially along with all of the prophets that are back there? Well, I'm going to tell you something. They're all... The difficulty that you have is a lot of folks, when they read the Old Testament, they think that it runs in chronological order. I hate to tell you this, it does not. And so when you look at it, and of course our English Bible uh, is different than the construction of the Hebrew Bible. And uh, so when you look at the construction of the Hebrew Bible, 
it is it is grouped according to three different areas unlike our English Bible so it makes it a little bit more difficult sometimes in our English Bible to understand exactly where we are and what is taking place all right so where we're going to be tonight Daniel chapter 9 verse 25 you don't need to turn there hopefully you're in the book of Nehemiah okay Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25 said to the issue of the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem so that's where we are so let's go to Nehemiah chapter number 2 and that's where we're going to pick it up what occurs in Daniel and recorded by Daniel uh, while he was in exile in Babylon uh, is actually recorded for us uh, in the book of Nehemiah chapter number 2 and of course this is going to be a prayer of Nehemiah that is going to be answered for him so verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 2 and it came about in the month Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes that wine was before him and I took up the wine and gave it to the king now I had not been sad in his presence in other words he, the king had never seen Nehemiah uh, with a sad countenance all right? uh, Nehemiah served uh, Nehemiah did his best uh, in, in his serving of King Artaxerxes as a cupbearer and so you know, the king had never noticed anything out of the ordinary with Nehemiah at all so we come to verse number two and so the king said to me why is your face sad though you're not sick this is nothing but sadness of heart then I was very much afraid I said to the king let the king live forever why should my face not be sad when the city Jerusalem, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire. Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And so, this is where we are. All right, you have Nehemiah's opportunity and his request. Uh, is going to be seen here in Nehemiah. So the king, when he sees Nehemiah, he knows that there's something that is, that is on his heart because of the sadness that he sees. And four months is actually going to go by before the opportunity comes for Nehemiah. Four months went by before his opportunity ever, ever came. And so when you look down at verse number 4 again, in the notice of the first part, then the king said to me, what would you request? You know, what is it that you want? And notice the last part of verse number 4, though. So I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, that's an interesting phrase. The king asked him, all right, what do you want? And so he prayed to the God of heaven. So as Nehemiah was going about his usual duties... Uh, the king sees him there notice something different about Nehemiah's countenance that he was sad you know and you can only imagine these exiles when the word traveled back and they knew that the very city that was their life and who they were the very city that God had set his name on had been burned and destroyed by fire you can only imagine how he must have felt uh, especially Nehemiah and, and, and how was he he was very he was very sad 
So the king asked him a very pointed question, wanting to try to get to the bottom of it and figure out exactly what was taking place with Nehemiah. So he asked him a very pointed question. He says, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? You look back up at verse number two, you'll find that very question. So why is your face sad though you're not sick? You shouldn't be, Nehemiah. You're the cupbearer in the king's palace. You get the very best that there is. And Nehemiah served. And you, know, you can only imagine Daniel served faithfully to Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's government that was there, even in exile. And all of those who, all of those who were there that served, they served in that capacity. Nehemiah was no different. Nehemiah served in that capacity that was there. And of course, Nehemiah was very careful in replying, making sure that he would, when he replied, because I want you to understand something, King Artaxerxes could have had him killed right there on the spot simply because of his countenance, simply because of what was taking place. In fact, Nehemiah was to the point of absolutely being afraid of what King Artaxerxes might do a servant was never able to let his negative emotions show before the king. And here's the reason why. This is the way the king would take it. It might show dissatisfaction with the king. And let me say something to you. That's the wrong place to be. Especially when you're in exile, okay? And you're serving the king. See, oftentimes we, we just kind of lose sight of, of how difficult it would be to be in exile in Babylon serving the kings okay or in this region serving these kings and you're in exile all right the dissatisfaction that would come would of course been difficult for them and to do so might even jeopardize his own position that he had or even his life and of course also nehemiah knew uh, that his request was a bold one because his request and we all know this matter of fact we've heard this many times when Nehemiah made the request to go back and I'm going to say something to you this I don't think sometimes we understand the significance of that request that Nehemiah made to be allowed to go back to begin to rebuild something that was destroyed during a time of aggression but it was a bold one and nevertheless a few years earlier this same king had stopped the rebuilding of Jerusalem and now Nehemiah was going to ask that the order be reversed because it had been stopped earlier and now Nehemiah is basically asking for it to be reversed I, I, I can only put it to you simply like this okay he was risking his life here he was absolutely risking his life. But when you look at the end of verse number 4, you see something interesting at the end of verse number 4. So I prayed to the God of where? Of heaven. For this to be a part that God wanted. And this is the beginning of the process. See, this thing of what we refer to as the last days in the prophetic timeline, most people look at it as, well, the, the last days and 
and those last events and everything is strictly from the time that the that the rapture is going to take place and the seven-year tribulation period and taking us through the millennial kingdom and this this clock started long ago this is not something that's that we're waiting at some point out here that this clock is going to get is going to start ticking if you understand the way that this is all put together folks listen to me the clock's already started it's already ticking and so we're making that way down and we're in that period in between okay that we don't know when the period in between is going to come to a close and the 69th week to end and the 70th week to be placed into motion we don't know when that is for sure but I can tell you this tonight and let me ask you a simple question if it started back with Nehemiah starting just the way the 70 weeks of Daniel outlines it don't you think that the remainder is going to happen just the way the beginning of it started sure it is sure it is the clock's ticking and for us to understand how serious that is in Nehemiah's response he avoided naming Jerusalem he didn't come right out and refer to it by name if you look at verse number five okay notice what he says I said to the king if it please the king and if your servant has found favor before you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it he never specifically says Jerusalem here perhaps so that he would not touch a sensitive political nerve in the king they destroyed it destroyed it for a reason so Nehemiah what, what would make you think that I would issue a decree and allow you to go back and, and, and rebuild something that we've already destroyed folks I want you to understand something tonight it was going to happen because God was not finished with Jerusalem God is not finished with what's there and let me go ahead and share something with you tonight I don't know how many of you have been paying attention to what's going on in Israel somebody asked me just last week they said brother Robert you still going to Israel yeah as of right now <laughs> that's that's for sure okay let me let me share something with you tonight okay and let me just put you at ease okay nobody's going to wipe Jerusalem off the face of the map nobody is going to wipe Israel off the face of the globe no one is going to annihilate the Jewish people I can tell you to that tonight based on the absolute authority of scripture itself why understand this Jerusalem is the city of God and oh by the way did you know that during the millennial reign of Christ guess where he's going to rule and reign from the city of Jerusalem the throne of David is going to be reestablished in the city of Jerusalem the Abrahamic covenant is going to be completely fulfilled during the millennial kingdom the Davidic covenant is going to be completely fulfilled during the millennial kingdom God's got this thing under much you know people ask me well, well what happens if they they wind up destroying Israel and destroy Jerusalem? hey tell you this ain't gonna happen 
It is not going to happen. Why? Because the word of God lets us know for sure that it is not going to. So here's what he did. He appealed to the king's sense of respect. It's what he did. His height or his sense of rightness regarding proper respect for the dead. Because look at one of the other things that he added in verse number 5. To the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Surely no one would disrespect the dead to that degree. And matter of fact, when you go back to chapter 1 and look at verse number 3, Nehemiah said the city where his ancestors were buried was in ruins and the gates had been burned. Look at chapter 1 and verse number 3. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So surely... The king, in his sense of rightness regarding proper respect for the dead and for the gates of the city, surely he would not deny Nehemiah's request. And let me say this to you tonight. This was a sad state of affairs for the Jewish city. Seventy-one years before this, In 515 B.C., the temple had been rebuilt. Now, I want you to understand, the temple's been rebuilt for 50 years to this time. Ezra and Zerubbabel had already gone back. It had been rebuilt for 50 years. Matter of fact, probably approaching 52 years is probably a closer number. The year was now 444 B.C. The decree was issued in 445 B.C., yet the city itself uh, itself still needed much rebuilding. So you've got the temple. You still have the city walls that have been destroyed. Almost 50 years has gone by, and they need to be rebuilt. So, verse 6, Nehemiah chapter number 2. Then the king said to me, queen sitting beside him how long will your journey be and when will you return so it pleased the king to send me and I gave him a definite time and I said to the king if it pleased the king Let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river. And that's the river Euphrates. That they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. Because he had quite a journey ahead of him. And he was going to pass through some areas that would not be pleasant. And without this letter, without this decree from Artaxerxes, he probably would not get far. Verse number 8. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. You ought to underline that, and you ought to connect it back to verse number 4. 
because they're connected. Nehemiah did not do this just because of his own, his own personal desire, okay? He sought God before he started the process. You know, oftentimes we get into trouble because we start the process before we consult God at the beginning. And we wonder why we have such difficulty in the process. So Nehemiah consults God first. Nehemiah goes to the king. And then we see a result of all of this taking place. So I'm going to tell you something. It's unheard of what Artaxerxes is allowing Nehemiah to do. And he's going to give him a letter so that he can pass through it. And, you know, I can see Nehemiah. And oh, oh, by the way, king, it'd be nice if you'd give me a letter also so that I can get enough timber and so on to do the rebuilding, okay, when I get there. And, of course, his request was granted to him. Verse number 9. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Isn't that amazing? He didn't go by himself. He went with an entourage. And guess who they were? They were the king's. King's company. Okay? That's who they were. Verse number 10. Well... No, there had to be trouble lurking around the corner. And of course there is. Verse number 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Hmm. So this is where it started. Sad state of affairs for the Jewish city. Temple had actually been rebuilt 444 B.C. The decree came in 445 B.C. To allow Nehemiah to go back, he leaves the king's palace with the company of horsemen and soldiers from the king, goes through, carries all the letters. And, of course, the enemy hears that they're coming and returning back but Nehemiah then asked for the biggest favor yet knowing that he would face opposition from his enemies he requested letters of permission from the king to allow him to pass through the various provinces of which it did it allowed him to pass right through let me share something with you you ready for this right under the directing hand of God himself not just those letters under the directing hand of God himself. And don't ever lose sight of that. Don't ever lose sight of that. Now, we need to go back to Ezra. So go back to Ezra chapter number 1. Ezra chapter number 1. Cyrus, who was the king of the extensive Persian realm at this time, drafted a proclamation and allowed the Israelites to return to their land and to rebuild their temple as well. So we kind of wonder, well, how did the temple get rebuilt? What was the direction? Um, as we go through, and here's what I'm also going to do, um, not next week because next Sunday night we'll be having a business meeting uh, in the evening service, but the Sunday night after that, we're going to take Nebuchadnezzar's image that he saw 
with the head of gold being Babylon, going down to the Medes and the Persians, going eventually down to the Grecian Empire, and eventually down to the Roman Empire, and then we get down to the feet. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to look at all of these guys. How many of y'all have ever kind of connected the dots with Artaxerxes? Who was he? Where did he come from? How about Cyrus from the Persian Empire? How about the Medes? Okay. Uh, what about the Grecian Empire? How many of y'all remember Alexander the Great? Antiochus Epiphanes. Anybody remember Antiochus Epiphanes? Okay. Uh, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter number 11. So we're, we're going to connect all of these. And so at the end of the day, when you look at this and you begin to read these, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, the book of Daniel, and the other prophets, you're going to be able to real quickly look at it and say, oh, yeah, that, he was the king. These were the prophets that were prophesying at this time. Here's the way they're all connected. Here's the time frame. And here it all connects in the Scripture. And so that's, that's my desire for you. So that when you're reading the Old Testament, that you don't get to the point, well, I don't read it because it doesn't make any sense to me. Let me tell you something. If you want to understand the last days, okay, you need to hold on as we go through all of this because you're going to see how all of this has been placed together by God himself beginning right where we are tonight and making our way through. How important it is to understand that each, uh, each segment of this all the way through. Let me get back to these. All right. This is the period that we're in right now. It's between the 69th and the 70th week, and you should have one of these um, charts as well, okay? Uh, when you look at this here, all right, hopefully you should have a copy of this one. Hopefully you should. Do you? Good, okay, all right. So when you look at this, the period between, and what I've done this is I've kind of broken it out for you. I've taken that, that big overall one that goes A, B, C, D, okay? And what I've done is I've taken each block for you and put it on a slide, kind of blow it up so you can see it. I tried to do it all combined and put it up on the screen, and guess what? You couldn't read it, okay? So anyway, this is, this is the block. This is the period between the 69th and 70th week. Let me share something with you tonight. That's where we are right now. That's where we are in the process. And so what kicked it off? A.D. 33, of course, Pentecost, the beginning of the church age. As we enter, as we leave out of that 69th week when Jesus Christ was crucified, he rose again the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Acts chapter number 2, when the day of Pentecost came and the church age began. And so that's where we are tonight. So when is it going to end? Um, oh, by the way, let me, let me share something with you, okay? Any of these folks that write these books, come on TV, or write all of this stuff, say, we've calculated it, we know exactly when he's coming. Let me share something with you. Every one of them's been wrong. Let me tell you why. There's only one who knows. And when the Father gets ready, he'll bring it to a close. And he'll return. And at that point in time, this 69th week is going to end. And the 70th week will begin. Whew. 
Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Yes. All right. Well, hopefully that will kind of give you a little bit more insight um, as we start through this process. Please. I know this is a this is a lot of information. Okay, I know that it is. Okay, um, I, and I know it is it is complex because y'all are sitting out there going, and, and this stuff's just it, it's coming at you, and, and you're trying to place it on this line. Okay, that's why you have these slides, as you see as we walk through them. Uh, but now, what I'm going to do in a couple of weeks, I am going to associate with you the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw and where the different parts of that image begin to fit into this picture as well. Amen? All right. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's stand and we will be dismissed. Oh, thank you. I almost, see there, it's been so long. I did it again. Y'all can be seated, okay? Matter of fact, there won't be any music tonight either. All right. I guess we could do it gets sweeter, okay? Or this little light of mine while they're taking the offering. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's uh have Brother Perry, would you would you pray for the offering tonight uh before we take it up? Oh, you're talking about this little light of mine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it. Sh Y'all aren't even participating. I don't see any lights up in the air. You can't do it without putting your light up in the air. Let's try it again. Lights got to go up in the air, or we're going to take another offering. <laughs> Amen. Let's try it again. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it, oh, won't let Satan it out, I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Amen. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. All right. Okie doke. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege we have to study your word together. Father, we thank you for the time of fellowship that we can have. And I thank you tonight that Jesus Christ 
is the reason for that fellowship. So, Father, as we depart this place tonight, uh, Father, I pray that you would keep us safe as we travel home. Father, bring us back at the next appointed time, and we'll be careful to thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.